I am pumped about what God has shown me this week to share with you. We're in this final month, final like three weeks here of this series that we're calling Breakthrough. And I still believe that God wants to give you a breakthrough in your life and whatever you're going through and whatever you're facing or whatever you're about to face. This might be a preparatory stage for you that you don't even realize that God is putting some, some weapons in your arsenal, some, some tools in your tool bag so that you can use those just around the corner because he sees time and space all at once. And so we're trying to get you ready for, trying to help you get ready for what God has for you, what he wants to do in you, what he wants to do to you, and what he wants to do through you. Can somebody say amen? Today I want to focus on the place of revival, and I want to give you kind of um, some uh, history lesson on three different revivals that took place. Don't check out. Some of you are like, it's summertime. Do we not have to deal with history? Just a little bit of history today. I I want you to try to learn from these. And the greatest revival that I want to talk about first, the zenith of all revivals, the biggest revival that ever took place was called, I don't know if it's called this or not, but I'm calling this the Garbage Dump Revival. You ever heard of the Garbage Dump Revival? The Garbage Dump Revival, it took place in a garbage dump just outside a big city um, a couple of millennium ago. Uh, it, 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 it took place outside of the city of Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago in a garbage dump where the son of God stretched out his arms for you and me and gave his life as a ransom for our souls. Now there had been an amazing acts of God throughout all generations. Um, every single generation has experienced incredible acts of, of miracles and signs and wonders from God Almighty in every generation. But the zenith, um, the, 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 the pivotal point, the climactic point of it all took place when the work of God on planet Earth, uh, God gave his one and only son that would die in a garbage dump. A lot of times we don't think about this. This was actually a dump where Jesus died. I, I've been there before. This is a place where you would, it was a place where criminals would go to die. You don't think this was a place of stained glass. This wasn't a place of, of a fine edifice. This is a place where they would just go to slaughter human beings to put them to death for crimes that they had committed against society. And in this place is where uh, criminals were crucified and it was just outside the city. And they crucified the Son of God where things were rotting and things were stinking, where where dogs and animals were scavenging for whatever was left. And in that dump, the Son of God was raised up and his life was given as a ransom for you and me. And he spoke some words. And here's kind of the, the big thing that happened. He spoke some words. Jesus spoke some words to a guy who was blessed enough to have been given the sentence of death in the horrible way of dying by being crucified and was hung on a cross just four feet away from Jesus. And so this criminal is hanging on his electric chair, is hanging with his uh, needle in his vein, is hanging with his firing squad waiting to shoot him. This, 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 this criminal is hanging next to Jesus. And what did Jesus say to this man? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I don't know what you think the definition of revival is, but that's revival to me. So this, I used to do prison ministries. There's a, they deserve the consequence for the action they deserve to be incarcerated. Uh, there's no room around it. And the ones that really are born again, that really do experience the freedom of Christ, will tell you the same thing. I deserve to be here. I need to continue paying this debt. They're, they're just really transparent, really honest. And I thank God for that. This guy deserved to be hanging on this cross. He deserved the consequence for the crimes that he committed. We don't even know what crimes he committed. But whatever he did, it was justifiable death is what it was. So he's hanging on this cross, a convicted felon, sentenced to die, struggling for his last breath upon planet earth. And he said, would you remember me? He said to Jesus, the son of God, who's suffering right next to him, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus lifts himself up and he says to the guy, absolutely I will. You bet your socks something like, yes, I definitely will remember you. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Hallelujah. And not, not long after that, Jesus takes his last breath. That's revival for this man. Not long after that, Jesus takes his last breath, and the Bible tells us that they remove the body of Christ, and they put him in Joseph's borrowed tomb. 
After Jesus died, though, we tend to think about fast forward from Friday, or yeah, from Friday when he dies to Sunday uh, when he, the tomb is empty and we know he's risen. We tend to think um, kind of a gray area in there. Well, that gray area is where all of the, all the, all of the power took place. Jesus, the Bible says, descended into the depths of the earth. We know that that's descended into hell itself. Jesus descended down there without his father, without the Holy Spirit. He was by himself. By the way, hell is a place of absolute darkness. Hell is a place of absolute isolation. It is a place of absolute horror and fear. Hell is not a place where there's you know, disco ball and demonic party going on. Hell is a place where it's so scary, it's so painful, it's so lonely, it's so isolated, it's so dark. You can't imagine how terrible of a place that hell really is. Jesus descends into this place. He sinks into the depth of darkness where there's no doubt all this satanic gloating and demonic celebration that's going on, that's taking place. Because the life of the Son of Almighty God was extinguished. And any hope of breakthrough for humanity, any hope of revival for humanity, any hope of the grace of God being extended to you and to me was over. It was done. It was finished. And so during this three days, Jesus takes the taunts from the demonic realm. He takes, he takes the, the ridicule. He takes this sense of hopelessness, this desperation. Jesus felt this. The people, we tend to think he went down there for three days. He's just kicking devil butt. Jesus went down there to pay the price for us. Yes, he did win over death, hell, and the grave, take back the keys to it all. But he experienced the anguish as well. And we have to remember that part. So Jesus is experiencing this separation from his father. He had never before been separated from the father. And now he's separated from the father. He took on the feeling that you should have, that I should have, that feeling that says there's no way out. He took on the feeling that says there's no way to move forward. He took on the feeling that we should have had. Jesus felt it. He was aware that he was in the pit of darkness. He was aware that he was in the pit of despair and he was all alone. He was a prisoner of the darkness captured by the darkness forever, or so it would seem. Because after three days, I think, let me digress for a second, I think that the same voice um, that spoke, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased when Jesus was baptized, I think the voice that's going to introduce the coming of the Son of God at the rapture, and I don't know, the voice that was heard down in the pit of hell at this revival that I'm calling the pit of hell revival, that's revival number two, probably thundered across the demonic realm and said, this is my Son in whom I well please, Son of God, come up out of the darkness and take the keys Back from death, hell, and the grave, they no longer control and they will no longer hold back my humanity any longer. And Jesus rose from the dead victorious over it all. And that is revival. Somebody say amen. That is breakthrough. And do you know what that tells me though? It tells me that breakthrough takes place in the darkest places of your life. Breakthrough and revival doesn't happen on the mountaintop. Breakthrough and revival doesn't happen when you're feeling good. Breakthrough and revival doesn't happen when everything in your relationship's just going hunky-dory. Breakthrough and revival in your life take place when you have nothing else to hold on to. When there's problems in your life. The place of revival is most often that most desperate place that you are in. If we were to go person by person in this room, person by person in the other gatherings, we were to say, when was your, when was your comeback moment? When did you uh, experience Jesus? When, when did that encounter happen? I don't think that, well, I have never heard anybody say something even remotely close to, it all started, Troy, when I won the lottery. 
and I bought a beach house in Tahiti. And I was sitting on my Chase lounge chair in the white sand beaches, drinking uh, my fruity beverage, eating my bonbons, when it, an epiphany took place. And I thought, I got to turn my life around. I, I got to give my life to Jesus. I got to find meaning and purpose with God. I must get saved. That doesn't ever happen. What happens, what happens is somebody's at the end of their rope. Their marriage has gone to hell. And they decided that they're going to start drinking themselves uh, into a stupor so that the pain would melt away. And in doing that, they dig a hole deeper and deeper and deeper that before long they realize I could never get out of this out of this hole. Because at the bottom of that hole, at the very end of their life, when, when, it's, when they're pushed up against it, the very last moment, they pray a very eloquent and very powerful prayer that goes something like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, that's not what they pray. At the bottom of the hole, the only prayer they pray is, help! Help me! It's that cry of desperation. It's that cry of, I need you, God. I can't do this on my own. I am lost without you. I need your help. And it's at that moment when you cry out to God and you say, help me, that he answers you. And he doesn't lift you out, but he climbs down there with you. And he listens to you. And he holds you, and he embraces you, and he offers you hope. He offers you strength that you didn't know you had. He saves you. He saves you from you. And he strengthens you, and he forgives you. And I think that's where revival begins, is down in the dark places. It's the pit of hell revival. It's the lonely places. That's where breakthrough takes place. That's the place of revival. And it's probably the most difficult place you or I have ever been before. Help. It's in those dark and lonely and desperate places, torturous places, that we see an amazing promise from the Son of God. The same God who stretched out his arms for us, the same God who gave his life as a ransom for us, who went to the darkness and depths for us. And that's what Jesus teaches us. And what I want to teach you today is found in the 23rd Psalm. So if you'll turn to Psalm 23. It's been several years since I've taught on this passage, a very familiar passage, six verses. Many of you memorized it as kids, and your kids in our, in our children's our kids rally, as well as in our kids' university, memorizing this. Um, it, over the years, uh, we want to make sure this gets. This is a this is a familiar to the because it's used at uh, funerals, celebration of life gatherings. By the way, the Cervantes family, uh, Tony said goodbye to his mom this week on Thursday. Uh, they come to the 9 a.m. gathering. Their daughter, uh, boom, right there. Come on, Kiana. She's our bass player, and so said goodbye to grandma this week. And so we want to pray for them and, and lift them up. It, oftentimes, this is a, a passage of scripture that is used when we are going through, going through loss. But I want, you, want to teach you something about this particular passage of scripture because in essence, what's happening is Jesus is telling us through this passage, he's saying, I want to be your shepherd. Will you let me be your shepherd? That's the question. That's the essence of this. Jesus is saying, if you'll let me, I will be your shepherd. Would you like me to be your shepherd? Here's what I know. We're all created to be dependent creatures, not independent creatures. See, we want to be independent. We're created to be dependent. We're dependent upon something or someone. And, and, and here's what I know. Everybody has a shepherd. That's just an absolute. Your shepherd might be yourself. <laughs> okay, you've chosen to follow that shepherd, which is you. Your shepherd might be, it could be uh, somebody else. Your shepherd could be a substance, that, that wine or that, that the, the, the substance that you're shooting up or snorting. Uh, your, your shepherd could be your career. Uh, I've got to uh, be upwardly mobile. I, I've gotta, your shepherd could be your, even our own kids. 
can become our shepherd. We'll follow them, keep on following. Our shepherd could be our possessions. Here's the key. Everybody's got a shepherd. And here's the thing. When you're down in the pit and you feel all isolated and all alone and you feel hopeless and helpless, and I mean, if your shepherd is you, well, how's that going to work for you? If your shepherd is your stuff, how's your possessions going to help you? If, if your shepherd is your career, I guarantee you, guarantee you, that employer will drop you like a bad habit if you don't become profitable to them any longer. It, 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 that's not a shepherd that you can count on. Uh, everybody has a shepherd. And when you're down in desperation, you've got to have a shepherd you can rely on. Somebody say amen. And so in the midst, in the midst of this spirit that I'm talking about, this atmosphere, that's where David's at. He's down in the pit. And, and he pens this psalm. And, and he is communicating to us that the Son of God, Jesus, God himself, through his Son, would like to be our shepherd. David got that. He understood that. And now David's telling us what it's like to have that, to have him. Now, for, for most of you in here, this is a great reminder message of what it's like to have that. Jesus as your shepherd. Here's what he says. Psalm 23, verse number one. I'm reading from mine, uh, my translation, the NIV, which is the older translation, so it doesn't quite match what's on the screen, but I like mine better, so we're gonna, we're gonna do, put them both up there. It starts off by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, can you just declare that with me out loud? One, two, three. The Lord is my shepherd. Come on, say it like you mean it. The Lord is my shepherd. In essence, I think David is saying, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, the Lord's mine. Who's yours? Do you have a shepherd? You have a shepherd. Have you figured out who your shepherd is? Because everybody has somebody or something that's leading them and that's guiding them. And the Lord, David is saying, is my shepherd. The rest of that verse says, I shall not be in want. Or it says, I lack nothing because the Lord is my shepherd. Verse number two, he makes, stop the truck. Hold the fort for a second. He makes me. Nobody makes me do anything, Kiana. I'll do something when I want to do something. You have to you know, make. Does anybody have that spirit about them sometimes, kind of that whole thing? You can make me do. Well, he, it says here that if, uh, if the Lord is your shepherd, he's going to make you do some things. Now, I need you to be, understand something. If every parent gets this. If you parent a child, um, you don't just let your children make their choices, right? You make them do some things. Uh, that's called parenting, right? Lead a child, train up a child the way they should go when they're old, they want to. You're going to make them do some things. And um, God makes you do some things too. And, uh, you know, yes, you have the power of free choice, but he still makes you do some things. It's just the way it is. And so if you're like, but I don't want that part, then you're going to have to find another shepherd because God's not going to change. Everybody say yes. So he, he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Hey, listen, it's, this is not a feel-good psalm. <laughs> a feel-good psalm would start off with, um, instead of he makes me, it would say something like, he soothes me. That's not what it says. This psalm is, is, is very powerful. So the shepherd, in summary, makes me, leads me, restores me, guides me. Makes me, leads me, restores me, guides me. He makes me, he leads me, he restores me. Thank you, God, for that. And he guides me. Just not that you get off track a little bit. That's what the shepherd does. The shepherd, by trade, does that for the sheep. We all are sheep. Uh, and uh, I know we connect sheep oftentimes with not being too intelligent. And I think that's very true for me anyway. Does anybody agree with that? Why do I do the same stupid thing? Paul said that in the New Testament. Why does I do the things I don't want to do and don't do the things I want to do? Because you're a sheep, dude, because that's what sheep do, right? And we need a shepherd that will, that will make us, that will lead us, that will restore us, and that will guide us. And so those are the traits of our, of our shepherd. It sounds pretty good to me. And all of this is available through our shepherd, Jesus Christ. But it's totally on his terms, and it's absolutely for our benefit. I need to say that again because that's really good. It's on his terms for our benefit. So we can't negotiate with our shepherd. Meh, I'm going to go that way. I don't care. We are going to go this way, right? Yeah, thank you, sir. Yes? Because he, he leads me, he restores me, he makes me, and he guides me. Now, if you make him your shepherd. But guess what? If you want to wander off on your own, 
because he's a good shepherd? Well, he'll try, to, he'll try to wrangle you back again, but ultimately that's up to you. If you choose a different shepherd, choose the right shepherd. Verse number four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You and your, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Comfort, 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 comfort. Comfort is not, this word is not a, a big hug. Oh, comfort is something different than that. Your rod and your staff, they, that, those are tools of the trade for a shepherd. I mean, David was a shepherd. He knows what it's like to be a shepherd. He used his rod and his staff, sometimes his bare fists, and he would fight off bear and lions, real animals, because he's protecting the sheep. And so there's this, there's this analogy here of a good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. You're not getting to these sheep, uh, bear. You're not getting to these sheep, lion, because I'm going to protect the... Listen, what this word comfort is, is it's more of the word confidence. Um, I am comforted or I have confidence in knowing that my shepherd has a rod. <laughs> my shepherd has a staff. He's not afraid to use them. He knows how to use them and he will wield those with great talent and expertise. Because he has a staff, because he has a, 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 a rod, I don't have to have one because my good shepherd has got me. And because of that, I can have peace in the midst of my problems. Somebody say amen. Verse number five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God provides for you and for me all that we need to fulfill our purpose and to accomplish what he's called us to accomplish. And what's really cool to me is this place of revival is likely in the midst of what you're facing right now. You don't have to get somewhere else to experience revival. Because where you're at right now is where God wants to revive you. In the presence of my enemies. A last revival for history lesson. Uh, how many remember the three guys in the fire revival? Yeah, sure you do, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Benny, Abednego, right? They're, they're thrown into this furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar has them thrown into this furnace because they broke the law. Manipulated law, but they broke the law. They're thrown into the furnace, turns the furnace up as hot as it'll go, seven times hotter than it ever was before. And uh, uh, finally, the, the king looks in through, I don't know, through the opening or the window or something, and he, he realizes he threw three in there, but there's four people in the furnace. There's not three, there's four. There's not three, there's four. And inside that furnace, we realize, we know that Jesus is with them. And they didn't smell like smoke. They didn't have a singe on the body. Not an arm hair was lost. That They were totally fine in the fire. And so it was in, listen, I don't like the story very much because I want the story to go a little differently. Um, I want the story to go, oh, I'm being persecuted. I'm being attacked. My enemy's coming against me. My adversary has got me. I'm being accused of something I didn't do. I'm, I'm, uh, and so I'm experiencing the fire. I'm experiencing the, the torment, the pain, the darkness, the loneliness, the isolation. That's where I'm at. And what I want is I want my, my good shepherd to come down and snatch me up out of that, set me down, pat me on the head, rub my cheek, and go over to the enemy and pluck his eyes out <laughs> and then throw him into the pit that I just came out of, right, and shovel hot coals on top of him and taunt him for a little bit and then come over and my, I'll live happily ever after. That's what I want because if it was written, that's not the narrative of the Bible. The narrative of the Bible is way different than that. Jesus shows up in the fire. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be a revival because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are realizing, hey, I'm not burning up. It's not even hot in here right now. This is kind of cool. I don't know if you dance, like dance much. Um, Edwin, I don't know if you're much of a dance. I know you're kind of a kind of DJ. I don't know if you dance along, but I tell you what, if I was in the fire with Jesus, not burning up, and not being overheated, I might just bust a move. You know what I'm talking about? Just, this is celebratory time. This is revival. That's revival. And where is the place of revival? It's in the fire, BTW. By the way, you'll never read in this story where God took them out of the fire. Never did it. God did not take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fire. Not at all. The king did. The same king that put them in the fire is the same king that got them out of the fire. All God did was go into the fire with them. See, I think the place of revival the breakthrough that you're going to experience in your life, revival, um, breakthrough happens, um, deliverance happens in the fire, not from the fire. 
That's not the news anybody wants to hear. Nobody wants to talk about breakthrough happening in the, in the fire instead of uh, from the fire because we beg God that he would take us out of the fire. And so some of you see where I'm going with this because and you're like, I don't love it very much because you'd rather the place of revival be where God gets you out of the darkness, God gets you out of the fire, God gets you out of the heartache, God gets you out of the funk that you're in, God gets you out of the attack, and he puts you in wonderland. How many would rather that be the narrative of the Bible, right? Sure you would. I mean, you're human. But mostly, God doesn't deliver us that way. Mostly, God delivers us in stuff before he delivers us out of stuff. Can you, can you receive that today? Hmm. Because it's in the stuff. That's where God does stuff powerful on our behalf. So you're struggling in your relationship today. You're angry with each other. You're frustrated, dis- disappointed, discouraged. Uh, I don't know that God's going to bring peace. I think God's going to use what you're doing, what you're going through right now to give you a real breakthrough, to maybe see it through the other person's eyes, to have a, an additional ounce of empathy that you didn't have before, you didn't know it was possible, and God met you and gave you a breakthrough. God helped you figure out where the heck this stuff is coming from so that you won't repeat this again later on. The negativity that you have, you're like, it's, it's his fault, it's her fault, knock it off. Quit being a jerk. Can I say that? Yeah, I can't, because that's what you're being, Right? Just let God give you a breakthrough in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the, of the, uh, uh, the garbage dump, in the midst of the dark darkness that you're in. That's, that's the revival that God wants to give to you. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I think anyway. Um, let me read verse 5 to you again. Just You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies the Lord told me that he'd prepare a table before me. Uh, that's what he said. So if he says it, I believe it. Everybody say yes. So he said he would prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Um, uh, this is my table. Uh, table, life. Prepare a life for me in the presence of my enemies. This is his chair, Jesus' chair. At, at, at my table. That's what it is. And this is my chair at my table with my God. And he prepared the table for me. I mean, there's all kind of good food on here. I didn't want to put food up here that, because I didn't know what you think is good food, right? But I know what good food is, right? Yeah. But I can't have good food anymore, so one day I'll have the good food at the good table of the good Lord, right? It says, now let's just, let's just go with this for, give me 15 minutes and get you out of here. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies, meaning Satan is still around. He's still out there. The enemies are all around me. He didn't remove me from the enemies to have supper with me. He came to me in my dark place in the presence of my enemies, in the presence of my suffering, in the presence of my isolation, in the presence of my abuse or my loneliness or my betrayal, he, in the presence of my addiction, he, he, he came to me and, and he, wants, he wants to sit at the, the, the table with me. He wants to connect with me. First Peter chapter five tells me that, that Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion. So he's, he's circling the camp. Are you with me on this illustration? Yes? Yeah, I hope you are. I hope you are. I hope you are. Hope you are. My, um, I've got you know, four daughters. You, you, most of you know that, but you don't know this. My daughters um, gave each other these affectionate, kind of tongue-in-cheek animal nicknames many, many, many years ago. Many, many years ago. And so I'm not going to tell you which one has which nickname. I'm not going to do that, but there's uh, one, one has the nickname of Wolverine, so you can kind of guess what that is all about. You know? Another has a nickname of Panda right? Another has the nickname of, 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 of Weasel, right? And, and another one has a, a nickname of uh, um, Penguin, Penguin. So we got four, four you, you can just, you know, right now I know what you're trying to do, you're trying to figure out which one has which one. Um, but I only want to talk about one of those right now, and, and that is Weasel. And I'm not going to tell you which daughter that is, of course, but I, she's getting married in September. So, um, uh, uh, so, um, 
and so, and so, and so uh, this daughter that happens to be getting married in, in September um, <laughs> has this nickname, Weasel, because when she was little, and it's a term of endearment, she said, thank you. You know, she likes being called that because she was able, I mean, my wife and I would be embracing each other. It might be at home or it might be in the, in the grocery store. You know, we've just always been very affectionate. And so I might be, and we, we break, and, and, and how did you get between us? How'd you get right there? Or I'm talking to people in the church lobby or whatever, and next, how'd you get in my arm? How did that happen? How'd you shimmy up me and get right there? The, she just had this uncanny ability to kind of weasel in there, and it's just become fun. All of it's fun, and I'm grateful for the personalities of my daughters. I really, really am grateful for that. Uh, uh, it, but I want to use this, and, and, and Kyler, I don't, this, don't, this is not against you, but I want to use this illustration for just a second because I think, I think that's exactly what, what Satan does is I think he has an uncanny ability to do this, don't you think? Right? All right, Emma, so just let me kind of just say. He, he has a way of kind of getting in between uh, a couple and uh, Arlene, I don't know, this guy. I'm not saying too much. I'm just saying he's, you know, I don't know. Have you thought about maybe? Anyway, I didn't want to. I don't want you to get discouraged. But if you really, you know, Arlene's. Uh, anyway, just maybe, maybe you should think about it a little bit. She's. I'm not sure you guys are. You know, it's not. It's not that happily ever after. You. Anyway, I don't know. I'm not trying to say anything bad. It's just well, I got looking out for you. Satan has a way. Next thing you know, he's right in between you. The, the thing about this is, it says that he prepared a table before me. It's for me, and it's before my enemies. And Satan prowls around like a, like a, like a roaring lion. But here's what I know. If you're not careful, Satan will just pull a chair up to your table. I don't know if you've ever had somebody just crash your table before and they just come sit down. Just pour a drink. How you doing? You guys doing good? Doing great? He didn't ask. Certainly not been invited, but he's sitting at your table. What happens is um, we don't have healthy enough boundaries in our lives. We don't have healthy enough boundaries with human beings. How in the world can we possibly have healthy enough boundaries with the demonic realm? And so we don't have the courage to say, you're not welcome at this table. And what we do is we tolerate Satan at our table. It's, it's our life. It's our table. We tolerate Satan at our table. And when we tolerate Satan at our table, what we're doing is we're, we're allowing a killer to sit with us. The threefold mission of Satan is to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So he's, we're allowing a killer to sit with us. Hmm. How do you know? How do you know when Satan's sitting at your table? This is your responsibility, by the way. This is not your church's responsibility. It's not your mama's responsibility. This is your individual, independent responsibility to get Satan away from your table. This is your life, your life. You are individually and personally responsible for your own spiritual condition. Nobody else is. So how do you know if Satan's sitting at your table? I'm glad you asked. I want to help you with this today. Satan will ask you questions or make statements to you in three different categories. So let's, let's take a look at what those three different categories are today. One of the things he might say to you, and there's an indicator that he's sitting at your table, is he might say, you're never going to make it through this. Now, it might be worded in a different way. It might sound something like this, it's not going to change. It might sound like this, you'll never have freedom. Never. It might be something a little more subtle, like, you know, you'll never be different. You are who you are. That's just the way you're wired. He'll say, don't get your hopes up again. I mean, you got your hopes up before, and then the relationship started going better, and it went back down to Kapui again. Don't get your hopes up again. That's what he's telling you. Or you won't survive. What he's saying, the essence of what he's saying to you is, you're never going to make it through this. And if you hear that, you're never going to make it through this. Oh, it sounds, it's, it's empathy in disguise. Oh, I don't know what you're going to do. I feel so terrible. You're never going to make it through this. You hear those words? Rest assured, you have allowed Satan to sit at your table. You have allowed the devil to sit at your table. And I am putting this on you because it's, you're the only one. You're the only one that can remove him from your table. That's number one. 
Number two, the second way that he, he uh, communicates is he'll say something like this, you aren't good enough. You aren't good enough. Now, it might be disguised or branded a little bit differently, like you're not strong enough. You're just not strong enough. Maybe you don't deserve this. You'll never be good enough. Maybe it's you're insignificant or just, you know, you're not worthy. He's communicating to you that you're not good enough. You don't matter to anyone is what he's saying. It's a category. Yeah, you, you aren't good enough. You just aren't good enough. You, I know you tried. You really tried, Troy, but you're not, you're not good enough. Um, yeah, I, I think the only way out is... Fill in the blank. If you hear those words in your spirit, you're sensing that, rest assured. You have given Satan a seat at your table. Number three, everybody is against you. Everybody is against you. Maybe it sounds like this. No one likes you, Troy. No one likes you. No one cares about you. You don't have any friends. People are just tolerating you, Troy. Did you see how they looked at you? You were, I bet that was really hard for you to be snubbed like that. I didn't even know I was snubbed. And now what I'm doing is I'm carrying a conversation with the devil. And I've taken my eyes off of Jesus. You start hearing these words. You start hearing synonyms, similar words to this. Everybody's against you. Rest assured, you have allowed Satan to have a seat at your table. Uh, when Kyler, all of our kids were little, and I'm using you today because uh, you like it. <laughs> when, when our kids were smaller, I remember a minimum day that we had. You know, we got them out of school for minimum day, and um, we decided to take them to Taco Bell. This is how I remember it anyway. So uh, we took them to Taco Bell for lunch, and I think that the kids each got a, that's when we had seven kids, that's when they each got a, one of those $5 big boxes, you know, where you get like a lot of food. It was like a special treat. And in that big box came a bag of Doritos, which wasn't normal. We didn't let them get that themselves, but she got a bag of Doritos. You know where I'm going with this. And I had a pastor's breakfast every Wednesday with pastors in the local community that we lived in, and I knew the pastors very well. One of the pastors showed up, and he'd never met my kids, so my kids didn't know him, but he knew it was me and my wife, and he had heard me talk about my kids forever. So he comes over, and he leans over. Kyler's, Kyler's uh, she was saving her Doritos, obviously, for the end. It's like a, you know, this is dessert. So uh, actually, it wasn't dessert, but it felt like it to her. And uh, so he leans over, and here's what he does. He leans over under her box, and he grabs her Doritos, and he opens it up, starts eating her Doritos, thinking, yeah, I think it'd be funny too. That's a, I can tell you raised boys, Craig, because you're laughing about it, right? <laughs> but, but girls are different, yeah, and, and wonderful, but, but different. It was very, I mean, she started crying, and she was hurt, and and now my friend, who I, I held this over his head for many, many, many weeks after this, just, I can't believe you're such a terrible pastor. You're just, I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. I was harassing him with it, but he just made her cry. And immediately he went and bought her two bags of Doritos, right? Because uh, he just felt terrible about it. He was just kidding around. He, I know his intent was always to have gotten her another bag, but it was just kind of, tea. it doesn't matter how she felt. Here's the deal. Some of y'all letting, letting Satan eat the food off your table. He's pulling up and you don't have the courage or the nerve to say that food is not for you. This chair is not for you, and you don't belong at this table. And it happens. Satan is communicating these things to us. You're never going to make it through this. You aren't good enough. Everybody is against you. When you hear these words, or something similar to those, know that you have given the enemy a seat at your table. Now, I can't just leave you there. Be like, have a great Sunday, Right? Figure it out, although you're intelligent, you've got the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you, and you probably know now, but let me remind you of what you already know. Um, when we allow the enemy to have a seat at our table, we create a self-fulfilling prophecy. He tries to tell me, you're never going to make it through this. And when I listen to that, I start to believe that. And when I start to believe that, I start to live that. And when I start to live that, 
I get into a state of hopelessness. I guess I'm never going to make it through this. So what I do is I start projecting that attitude onto other people, which creates a self-fulfilling prophecy that I truly am now not going to make it through this. When he says to me, you aren't good enough, and if I start to believe that, even a sliver of that, that I'm not good enough in the eyes of our great and mighty God, that I'm not good enough, what happens is I'll start to believe it, I'll start to live it, and when I start to live it, I'll project it, I'm not good enough, so by God, you're not good enough either. And I'll start pushing relationships away, and I'll start closing the door on opportunities in my life, and guess what? I have created now, because I allowed Satan to have a seat at my table, a self-fulfilling prophecy that really is, I'm not good enough. If I start to believe that everybody is against you, everybody's against you, and I start to believe that even, a, even a, a small fraction of that as truth in my life, then I'm going to start living it. And guess what? I guess I'm going to get you before you get me because everybody's against me. And I'll push everybody away, including my own family, my own spouse, and my own children. Because I allowed Satan to have a seat at my table. I do not want you to feel guilty about this, but I do want you to get a little mad. Get a little aggressive about your faith. This is your table. You only have one. Use your table. Use your life to the very best you can. And when do you start? You start right now. And we've got to figure out a way. If I've heard these lies, if these things have come into my... I'm telling you, as your under-shepherd, as somebody will be held accountable to God for what I declare behind the sacred desk, I'm telling you the truth. You are personally responsible for your own spiritual condition. At this juncture, it no longer matters what your mama said to you. It no longer matters the abuse you endured. I get it. But you have a table that he has prepared for you. And you're allowing the enemy to sit at your table. And it cannot happen anymore. You've got to make a decision today to have him. How do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. How do I, if I recognize the enemy sit at my table, how do I do that? Well, this is my chair. That's the chair of Jesus. I look at Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given me a way of escape. You have empowered me. You have strengthened me. You have helped me physically and emotionally and relationally and spiritually. There's nothing you cannot do, and there's nothing you will not do for me. And I thank you as I keep my eyes fixed on you. I invite you, Jesus, to rebuke the devourer because I say right now that this is my table given to me by you and he is not welcome at this table. He's not gonna, I do not give him permission. I will not allow him, not yesterday, not today, and not ever. So please, Lord, rebuke the devourer, rebuke the devourer. And what he does is he casts the enemy away from you and he can no longer sit at your table because you put your eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of your faith. Jesus Christ because he's because he's he's the answer I'm not the answer he gave to me the table he gave to me this life I was thinking of this verse uh, verse number five and I thought seems like it should have been, you prepare a table before me in the presence of God. God is here with me. But it's not that. It's you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I, I thought, why? why? Why is that? I think, I think that it's because God wants to receive all the glory in the midst of your dump, in the midst of your darkness and in the midst of your fire, God is going to receive all the glory for the breakthrough that he's about to bring you in your life. He's going to get the glory not just on the mountaintop, but he's going to get the glory in the middle of it, in the middle of your fight. <laughs> Hallelujah. I told you John 10, 10 a little while ago, the thief, the thief comes, uh, Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come they might have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. But then the very next verse, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Oh, we're connecting the dots to Psalm 23 now, aren't we? He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So if you're hearing the words, you're not going to make it. If you're hearing the words, you aren't good enough or everybody is against you, that's not coming from the good shepherd. That's coming from another shepherd. Another shepherd with a lowercase s is trying to lead you. 
Some of you feel like everybody is against you. Truly, everybody's against you. I'm telling you it's not. The other chair that's pulled up to your table might be a spirit of paranoia is what it might be, and you got to deal with that just like you dealt with this, right? But let's just say everybody is against you for a second. Just go with this for a second. If everybody is against you, well, who's still sitting at the table with you? And if he before you, who can be against you? So you say, thank you, Jesus, for your presence in the middle of the fight. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence in the middle of the trouble. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence in the middle of the trial. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence in the middle of the darkness and in the middle of this pressure. And then this verse, verse number five, kind of concludes this way. It concludes, um, my cup runneth over. My cup overflows. In other words, now I know because I'm sitting at the table in the presence of all this crap, I'm at the table with Jesus. I'm at the table with Jesus and I'm not living in lack and I don't have to wonder if my shepherd's gonna come through for me because I know that I know that he will. And then it concludes this way in verse number six. Surely goodness and love will follow, what? Goodness and love, goodness and mercy, goodness and love. What's that? Who's that? That's Jesus. (gasps) Did you get that? So if that's Jesus, follows me all the days of my life, and Jesus bookends, at the beginning it says Jesus leads me, guides me, restores me, makes me, right? So he's leading me, and then at the end it says he's following me, and in the middle of the verse it says he's with me. Did you get all that? Jesus is leading you, he's following you, and he's with you. Jesus will never leave you. Not at the beginning, not in the middle, and not at the end. He's with you all the time. He's leading, following, and he's with me. So this verse, this this six verses, he makes me, he leads me, he restores me, he guides me, he protects me, he provides for me, he anoints me, he follows me all the days of my life. And if that's not enough, the pazuki at the end of the meal, right? The, the, the dessert at the end of the eight course life that you've lived at the end of the table is, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So tell me, why in the world would anybody not want Jesus to be their shepherd? Because everybody's got a shepherd. There's only one good shepherd. If you need a breakthrough, here's what I'm going to challenge you, saints, is don't don't spend all of your energy asking God to get you out of the fire, get you out of the dump, get you out of the darkness. Instead, invite Jesus into it. (sighs) Invite him into it. That's the place of revival. And for some of you, it's probably the place that you're in right now. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for your word. And uh, what a familiar passage. And thank you that we can glean some, maybe some a different perspective and understanding. Would you open our eyes so that we can see this table? Remind us that you're with us and that you will never leave us and you'll never forsake us. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I wonder if someone would say to me, you know what, just by raising your hand, you know you're born again. But would somebody somebody say, you know what, I I realize it now, Troy. I have, in this area of my life, I have given the enemy a place at the table. He didn't ask. He wasn't invited. He weaseled his way in there. And I'm not going to tolerate it anymore. I'm not going to stand for it. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. Uh, Today is a new day. His mercies are new every morning. And so I choose today to kick him out and no longer does he have a place at this table called my life if that's you slip your hand up to heaven right now and just declare that yes and amen declare that yes and a declare that yes and amen over your life over your existence your heart your spirit your mind your soul right now in the name of jesus we declare deliverance for your children god we declare god vision god right now i know that you're lifting the the blinders you're removing the veil so we can see things more clearly and god we see And we don't like it. And so we say, greater is he who is in me than he who is in this old world. Lord, rebuke the devourer and just eliminate him. God, kick him out and away from my table. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen and amen and amen. I'd like to close this gathering a little special way. So I'm going to ask you if you would help me just recite, read with me these six verses called the 23rd Psalm. 
And I know we all have a certain version we like, but I'd like you to read it off the screen. And, and if you would do me, please, if you just do me a favor and join me, just stand and join me right up here at this altar for two reasons. Number one, because we we're family. And number two, because it's small print and you might be able to see if you come a little bit closer as I'm getting a little bit. So come on up here, please. And, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll remove this so you can see. And I just want to read it with me. And one of the things that I like to do that helps me uh, focus, concentrate, when I really mean something deeply in my heart is, is oftentimes I like to kind of put my hands like right here, just like I, I feel this. I, I'm just, I don't care what it is for you. I'm just gonna, maybe that would work for you, but would you read this with me today as a declaration unto God? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. In Jesus' name. Have a great Sunday and have a safe and happy 4th of July. We look forward to seeing you back here next Sunday. Buy your fireworks at Jack in the Box. And thank you so much for your help with all the stuff that's going on. Some of you have been working your tails off trying to help us reach this community. Remember, just let me remind you, it's not butts and seats that God is glorified through. Right? It's lives changed. It's hearts melded to Him. And that's what we're seeing happen every single day through the ministries at New Life Church. Can somebody say amen? Amen. If you're watching by live stream, we love you. God bless you. Be safe. And we'll see you soon. Y'all are dismissed. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Praise God.